Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, home of the modern whitetail hunter. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. And this week on the show, we are kicking off a month of big buck breakdowns. And I'm joined by Tyler Utter to dive into the story and the strategies he ultimately used to kill his biggest buck to date. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, presented by First Light. And I think when you guys are listening to this one, it will be the first episode of 2023. So welcome to the new year. Uh, Merry belated Christmas, Happy New Year, all that good stuff. And uh, here we go. New season is upon us. And I thought we'd kick off this year with a month-long series of stories, not just, you know, let's tell the story kind of thing, but actual breakdowns of special stories of special bucks. This month, I talked to, I think, four different folks who have had epic years-long hunts for single specific bucks and really had a thoughtful, detailed approach to how they tried to hunt these deer and ultimately found success. That's the plan for this month. Going to try to really get into the nitty-gritty and learn some stuff from these people. And today we've got a great example, a great way to kick that off. I'm joined by my buddy Tyler Utter. He's an Ohio hunter who I've got to spend some time with, and he just capped off an epic six-year story, a six-year adventure chasing a -a once-in-a-lifetime Ohio whitetail, nearly 200-inch buck, uh, just a, a gargantuan deer, really interesting experience that Tyler had studying this deer, following this deer, trying to get him killed, lots of ups and downs, the the full roller coaster you could imagine. And that's what we're covering today. Um, You're going to hear everything from 
trail camera strategies to some interesting approaches to just, you know, getting access and, and kind of the perseverance it requires sometimes to be able to hunt where these deer live. Um, you're going to hear about dealing with the ups and downs of, of misses, of, of bad shots, of, of everything you could imagine. We've got that today. Um, so that's the plan. I'm hoping you guys will enjoy this one with Tyler. I know I did. And then we've got some other really great stories coming up this month. This is going to hopefully prime the pump for us to kick off the new year as we dive into scouting and land prep, conservation work, uh, volunteering to help improve habitat and public land, exploring new places, shooting our bows, shooting our guns, doing everything we need to do to be prepared for the next season, which it's already time to start prepping for. Hope you guys all had a really good 2022. Um, I'm sure I will do an episode here soon, kind of recapping my past season, probably talk with Tony or some of the other guys about the season we just wrapped up, what we learned from it. Uh, But I can tell you one thing out the gate is that my goal coming into the 2022 deer season was to have fun, just to get back to the fun of it all. And I did it, guys. I somehow was able to keep the stress out. I was able to focus on just hunting my hunt, doing things for for my enjoyment and why I got into deer hunting in the first place, getting back to the love of it. And it worked. It freaking worked. I had the most fun deer season I've had in years. I got back to the basics and oh, by the way, it also led to some pretty decent success too. So uh, more to come on that. We'll definitely talk about this, unpack that as we go into the new year. Um, But hopefully this is proof of concept. If we can all get back to just having fun, not worrying about what people think on social media, not worrying about what our neighbors think, not worrying about what our friends think, not worrying about how big the deer is or how little the deer is or whatever, but just enjoying deer and deer hunting and wild places, enjoying these things, caring about these things. Man, that's what it's all about. So keep that in mind this coming year as we build into the 2023 season. And without any further ado then, Let's get to our first big buck breakdown of the month. We've got the story of this giant deer that Tyler Utter was fortunate enough to wrap his tag on. Let's get to it, and I'm going to welcome Tyler to the show. All right, now with me on the line is Tyler Utter. Tyler, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Mark. I appreciate the invite, man. Yeah, I'm glad this worked out. It's uh, It's been cool getting to uh, spend some time with you after we kind of randomly bumped into each other because we had some hunting properties close together. And uh, and since then, I've got to find a kindred spirit in you, my friend. You are just as nuts <laughs> as me. So uh, cheers yeah. to that. I agree. It's, it's kind of nice finding the same type of person because sometimes you get looked at a little nuts. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt in that. Yep, that's the truth. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, man, we've got a, a really good excuse to talk some more tonight because this month, as you know, on our podcast, we are doing a series of buck profiles of stories of folks who have had just like an incredible hunt for a specific buck, um, deep in the weeds, losing sleep at night, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I think that would that would uh, be accurate for your situation. Would you say that that's would, that's about right? Yeah, that would fit it really good. Yeah, really well. Yeah, there's a lot of sleepless nights. <laughs> so tell me this: I want to, I want to go through the whole story, the whole long story, and you know, hopefully, pick out a lot of details of, of how you did what you did and why you did what you did and all that kind of stuff. But before we get into that, um, t- 
tell me this, just what made this deer and this hunt so special for you? Like, why did you lose sleep for, for years? Why were you so damn excited when you finally killed this deer? Um, I think the biggest reason was just finding him kind of the way I did not really expect You know, you put cameras out and you kind of expect, you know, big deer to be in certain areas. And this was just an area I never, you know, it was kind of like a last resort type of thing one year. And that was the first year I got pictures of him. It was real late season. And I think that was exciting in itself. And then it was a really, like I said, weird type of area that he was in. You just wouldn't look at it on a map and go, Hey, that deer lives there. Like there was absolutely, unless I missed something key. I mean, you just wouldn't think that. So it was exciting. And then his potential was what really excited me, but it was hard to, uh, to let the deer get to where he needed to. But I think that was part of what made it so rewarding and so exciting. Like I love letting deer grow. Like I kind of get into that perspective more than actually hunting them sometimes. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it ends up being, you kind of just like, ah, I just want to maybe one more year. Maybe one more year. Yeah. Like fun to watch them. Fun to see what, what they might turn into next. Yeah. And that's what made this deer so special to me. was just the, potential we had when i first saw him and then the way it kind of unfolded and just the amount of time and just history with him and how hard he was to really kill in this area because like i was saying it's just not an area where you would think he would be and then it's just super open a lot of cattle pasture and stuff so it was really difficult to even have opportunities at him at all yeah so so paint me a picture for for people who haven't seen a literal picture of this deer uh, i think for the story to to really hit home we gotta have like something in our minds when we're imagining what this deer looks like what he is how how old do you think this deer was when you were hunting him the last year so when you killed him and then describe what this deer looks like now that he's you know in the back of your truck <laughs> Well, don't uh, really, don't tell me what he looks like now in the back of your truck because I'm pretty sure that's just a skull cap. But tell me what he looked like yeah. this year. <laughs> it looked really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he is just a mega typical deer. Like he just – he never really had much trash. I mean he had a couple, you know, inside points in between times and stuff here and there and then a couple um, kickers on his two on the one side. But he's just a giant frame – it was a 12 pointer in the beginning ended up being a 10 pointer that was just as big as his 12 point frame when I killed him. And um, my guess is, you know, I had six years of, of history with the deer. So my guess is like nine years old or so is where I really think he's at, but, um, he could be more. I mean, I know he's no less than that. Um, when I first started getting pictures, you know, he was probably a hundred and forty-five, fifty-inch deer, and I mean, that's a where I'm at. I mean, that's a three-year-old generally. You know, he could have been four, but he had some character even that year. So, I mean, he could have been four, which would put him at ten. But I'm thinking, you know, nine is where he's at. But that's kind of what I always said since the first time I got a picture of him was that's that he crazy. was three years. So, is that yeah. is that rare in your area for a buck to get that old? I mean, it seems like crazy to me, but is that not unheard of in your neck of the woods or is it it's pretty unheard of i don't know of too many deer um we got a lot of buddies that hunt big deer and i don't really know of anything you know eight nine years old is 
probably the oldest I know of, and it's super rare, but it, it's kind of like, it just goes back to the area thing. Like if I would paint you a picture of that area, like, or show you on a map, you know, it, it's just, it's super hard to hunt. Every angle you come in on, he can see, like, it's just, it's super difficult. And I, and I, from my knowledge, like, I don't think many people knew about him at all, even though he's been there that long. Like, he didn't show himself out in fields, you know, in bean fields. Like, it was a perfect protected area, like, where you couldn't see in, but at the same time, you know, hard to hunt because it was so open. But it was just one of – it was a perfect case scenario. I mean, I've had a lot of deer that, you know, that are – everybody knows about them if they get that big. Yeah. I mean, just – they're a celebrity around town, so. Yeah, so this one somehow flew under the radar. Um, but how did you, I guess let's let's start with this. How did you find out about him? So what was your introduction to this deer? Uh, <laughs> where to begin? So I hunt a lot of area around this area. Um, a lot of good farms where I grew up hunting, you know, where I've killed some of my first bucks up until my biggest deer. So the general area I know is good, but this farm, um, it's actually a good friend of my parents and I, I don't know what triggered it. One, one year I just, I didn't really have a shooter that I was like, you know, dead set on a lot of deer I wanted to grow and didn't really have anything to chase. And it was late season. The deer I was after got, um, killed by the neighbor he, he went like 196. He was a giant, but <clears throat> I chased him all year. And then, yeah, just when he was gone, there was just nothing else. So I was like, oh, I'll ask for permission. And, you know, I know nobody really hunted over there or anything. And it, like I said, it was all cow pasture. It's like 150 acres of just cattle pasture with a little bit of finger woods through it. And I went to one of the finger woods and put a camera out on the fence line. And like that was, you know, splitting the property because of the cattle pens and, he showed up like the only deer that showed up a couple does and him. And, uh, that was the first picture. And I was like, wow, that's a good deer. Like didn't really, didn't know if he was a homebody, you know, didn't know what would unfold after that. Like I never would have guessed this would have happened, but. So you get pictures of this, like one forty five ish buck that you think is yep. a three-year-old maybe. So like a, I mean, in my eyes, that'd be like a great three-year-old. But in your eyes, you're kind of like, all right, he's like a he's a nice three-year-old. Is that what you were thinking? And did you have like high hopes already, or was this kind of like, all right, yeah, that's another decent buck? Uh, I had high hopes. I was, you know, unsure. Like at first, you know, I kind of looked at him, and he was ran down. You know, it was late season; it was after the rut, so he was really ragged, ran down. But so I couldn't really tell if it was, you know, a lot of people can judge deer's ages and you know look at him one time and see it but he just was so ran down that i couldn't tell if it was like an older buck ran down or he was just actually that young which was kind of my first you know thoughts about it but he had some kickers like on the inside of his beam and he just had the genetics like that you want to see like he didn't have like a you know a couple kickers off his you know his brows or his bases or whatever you know that some deer get that you know are just going to be that every year he had them like in between his tines and had you know a flyer on the one side it was just one of them deer you look for and i'm like if this deer's really three this is going to be something but at that time i didn't know what the hopes were because i don't know if he would stay around 
Like I didn't know if that's where that deer lived or it was just late season. And I just got lucky, like didn't have a clue if I'd see him the next year, but I knew right then he was special, but I didn't know, you know, what my history was going to be because, you know, I didn't know the hunting pressure. I was still learning. Like I'm in that area. I kind of thought I knew what I knew, but at the same time, you know, I don't know who was hunting beside there or, you know, the neighbors who was, they were allowing to hunt and how much pressure he really would get. And so it just kind of the next year, it kind of, I realized, wow, like there's nobody around here. Like this could be a deer that I could let grow for a few years and he could be a mega giant. And it ultimately worked out. It, it about killed me at times, but. (laughs) (laughs) So, so walk me through from there. Like when you, when you get a buck like this on camera in a place you can hunt. And I think one thing you do that a lot of people could learn from, and you tell me if I'm wrong on this, but it seems like you cast a really wide net. It seems like you get permission on a bunch of different places. Like you've got access to a lot of different farms in your general area. And it seems like you're just like kind of keeping tabs on everything everywhere. And then you're, you're, you're not dedicating yourself to any given farm or area until you find like that one special deer. And then, you know, you zoom in then, but you've got this really kind of far reaching gaze. You're looking all around, looking all around and you only focus when you find that one. Is that right? That's, you couldn't have hit it more on the head like that. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> kind of my tactics. Um, just because they're so hard to find, you know, them big mature deer that are going to be something special or are something special and usually if you do you know how it is like it's pretty competitive there's usually somebody that knows about him already and you know i'm from a small town to where i know a lot of people and you know you're like i don't want to make that guy mad like i don't want to <laughs> go over here and make this guy mad like right. I, I know he hunts over here so the area that i have and that i've been you know lucky enough to kind of really you know leasing such a big thing now but a lot of this area i've just had permission since i've been a kid like my dad always hunted there and it's my dad's good friends and they don't let anybody else hunt like i couldn't explain how fortunate that is especially nowadays like it seems to be everywhere you look it's a lease and there's nothing wrong with that at all, but it's just kind of the way it's went. So I've just been fortunate to keep this ground without needing to do that really. So I cast the net in that area pretty wide, but yeah, yeah, I find a deer and I try to focus on that deer. Like I don't really bounce around it, you know, but some years like this year, that's the only reason I found him is because the deer I was after was gone and, you know, got killed. And when that happens, it's like when you set your, you know, your goals for one deer, all of a sudden it's over. Yeah. And you're like, all right, where do I go now? Now what? <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's difficult at times, but so with it's this, rewarding. Yeah. So with this one, you, you see him in the late, or you get pictures in the late season. He, he, he falls kind of in the like interesting folder, maybe in your brain. You're like, Hey, this is one to keep tabs on. Uh, what happens the next year? And what do you do when you get a buck, when you kind of get tabs on a buck, you, you see one or you, get a picture of one that's like interesting, but you're not going to want to shoot him right away. Like how does that impact your strategy the following year? Do you do a bunch of different kind of preparations given that you're hoping this deer might blow up or are you still like, all right, I want to see what, see what happens here. Um, What does that look like? And then what did you actually do? So yeah, I kind of, 
like this deer, I, I keep alluding back to it because he was, he was on my radar, but I never knew what was going to happen the following year. Like as far as when I actually got pictures of him, I'm like, Oh wow. Like he blew up. Um, he went from that 145, you know, frame to mid one seventies. Wow. Yeah. He, he exploded. And, uh, that kind of <laughs> changed a lot. I was chasing an, an, another pretty good deer that year. And, uh, I, I knew that I, as bad as it sounds or as good, what, however you want to look at it. But like, I knew I couldn't, I knew I couldn't shoot him because at that point, you know, he was healthy and, you know, velvet pitchers. And I, I knew I'm dealing with a four-year-old, you know, five-year-old at the most, like bounce back and forth with that. But I mean, let's call it a four-year-old, but he exploded. And I'm like, this could be the next deer. Like this, I'll never probably have an opportunity to chase a deer like this again. So that's kind of where my mind went. I, when I first saw him, I went in and put some stands in. I obviously went and, you know, put cameras out and kind of tried to uh, pinpoint or just get pictures of him again, you know, from the following year, just see what he did. And then when I did, I was like, okay, wow. And wasn't so sure at first, you know, that I wasn't going to shoot him just because he was a giant. And then I was like, all right, I'm not shooting him. People thought I was crazy. I got a good buddy I hunt with all the time. And he was like, you're not going to shoot that deer? I'm like, <laughs> I got to let him grow. And he was daylighting a lot um, on this farm. And it was difficult. It was difficult. Um, I actually sat in the stand a couple times that year, like in the beginning, first week of season. And I got to lay my eyes on him and I couldn't do it. I was like. So when you went out there, though, were you thinking in your head, like, were you still unsure? And you were sitting like, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. We'll see how I feel in the moment. Was it that kind of thing? Pretty much. But, I, I mean, I knew I wasn't going to shoot him, but the pressure from friends and family were kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, are you crazy? And, I'm, and then so a little bit in my mind, you know, I'm still figuring out, you know, who's around, what's around as far as hunters or predator, you know, like something that's going to take him out. I'm like, where's this deer go? Does he travel a lot during, you know, it's all a what if at this point. So that to me was probably the biggest like reason that I even kind of thought about it. Cause I'm like, well, you know, is he four, you know, I'm trying to make him five or six in my head. Like, is he going to be around? Like, Oh, what if somebody, and go back to the year before where the neighbor killed that deer. I'm like kind of a little bit bitter because I'm like, gosh, you know, I watched that deer for three or four years and then that happens. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a hard decision to make, but I don't know. I just, I, I knew I wasn't going to shoot him, but when I'm sitting in there and then I saw him and I was like, wow, I mean, just a giant and yeah, I, I don't know. It was, it was easy, but it wasn't easy. I guess if that makes any sense at all. So you, you hunt, you obviously, you know, anyone listening, hearing you say what you just said, like it's obvious it must, well, it should be obvious to anybody that you hunt in a pretty good area where you have opportunities at good deer, um, to be able to see a booner and be like, ah, you know, he needs another year. So you're, you're in a place that these, the deer get a chance to get old and they've got good genetics. And so, you know, like you said, you're a fortunate guy to be in a zone like that. Um, but, but. 
why like why why do you want to see what happens like why was that a buck that you saw and you're like you know what i want to i want to keep this story going i want to see what happens next like is it is it simply curiosity and like man it, it could be like a once in a lifetime deer or is it or, i don't know like what is that in your head i think the best way to explain it is i mean you can't kill 190 inch deer if you don't let them grow i mean that's always you know everybody's chasing that 200 mark and obviously i'm chasing it too and i just it's easy for me to let deer grow like i almost you know like seeing like you're saying the curiosity part gets me and then it's just the fact of putting a story together putting the history together putting you know all the ups and downs like anybody that's hunted and chased a deer i mean you as well you 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 understand it like for sure it's it's a mental battle that is tough more than it's good. Like, but when it's good, it's so good. Yeah. And you can't explain that to people. Like if you've never done it. So I think that's probably one of the bigger reasons that I enjoy it is just, you know, putting the history together and then giving the deer a chance to be, you know, at its full potential, which a lot of times hasn't worked out. I've had a lot of big deer, you know, something's happened. The neighbors killed them. They get hit by a car. Like it's just, and it's tough to swallow because, you know, you got all that history and time and you're excited because this is the year and then something happens and, but it's still not worth the alternative. Like it's, it's way better than the alternative, which is shooting a young deer that I think has big potential. Like I, like I was saying earlier, I, I think I enjoy letting them grow sometimes just to see what they're going to be. And I mean, whitetails are, I don't know. I mean, if you don't hunt them, you don't understand, but if you do, you, you, you get it. Like they're awesome creatures. I mean, they're, they're wild animals that shed bone every year, grow it back. And a lot of times it's bigger. It's just kind of <laughs> wild to see what they do. It's, it really is. Well, you know, you know, I think to your point, like the thing that maybe I like the most about, you know, letting a deer go and, and trying to, you know, watch them over time is just the fact that I don't know how you feel, but sometimes I like to hunt more than the kill. Like I, I love just like watching these deer, learning these deer, studying these deer, seeing what they do from year to year, kind of just like you get, get to know them and I, they're just so fascinating. I just love that. Like trying to figure it out. Like there's like a puzzle in front of me every year and you get to see, okay, well, what's this deer going to do this year? What's he going to do this year? And you're slowly putting together this puzzle. You're slowly getting a picture of what's happening. And that process itself is so much fun that sometimes I don't want it to end. And and so oh, part I of it's like, yeah. So sometimes it's like, man, I really want to see what, you know how big he gets. But also sometimes it's like, I just want this to keep going because this is just fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. You, you couldn't – yeah, I mean, you – said everything right there like what i'm trying to explain that's that's the perfect way to say it i mean it's it is fun it's so frustrating <laughs> at times yes. but it's so it's so much fun the, and I, I don't it's a hobby and it's it's I, i've never been more passionate about something and i i hope that it never goes away i don't think it will but you know you've heard the stories you know a lot of people that hunted when they were younger and really kind of I don't know, burnt themselves out. You know, the older guys that are like, mm -hmm. ah, I used to hunt a lot, but I don't need more. And you'll get that way too. 
I don't yeah. think that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's there. Uh, I hope so too for me too. Um, so, so okay. You, you get pictures of him. He's a booner. He's a giant, but you realize like, all right, you know, I want this, I want to see where this thing goes still. Mm-hmm. Um, you hunt early in the season, you see him, but you decide, okay, I'm not going to shoot him. So what yep. do you do with a buck like that? Where it's like a giant, but you're not going to shoot it. What was your, what did you do the rest of the year? Did you have a plan to try to like still keep trying to learn about him? Or did you decide to stay out completely to keep pressure super low? How did you, how do you do that? I quickly learned that the neighboring property was where he lived. And that was a little bit concerning to me because there was somebody leasing that property um, that I found out, like, (laughs) when I get my headset on a deer, you know, trying to figure it out and you quickly realize, like, okay, this deer doesn't live there. Like, I really go into some digging and we all do it. Um, Trying to figure out, you know, okay, well, who does hunt over there? You know, I don't want to step on any toes. Does anybody hunt over there? trying to get my plans together for next year because after he shedded velvet probably two weeks i mean he would show up time to time but like two weeks into season it went from you know every every day or every couple days of pictures and daylight and pictures in general to you know one a week and then you know a couple in that month and so i just quickly realized okay and it made a lot more sense on, you know, looking at it on the map and everything. That's where that deer lives was the neighboring property. He summered where I was and or where I was hunting. And then, you know, late season, he came back. So I was fortunate enough. That's how I caught him the year before. Um, and I know all this now, but at the time, I'm just kind of putting it together like, all right, this deer doesn't live here. I'm going to have to make a plan or figure out what I can do to get that property. So I kind of started digging on it and I knew, um, one of the boys that his grandpa owned the farm. Um, they did have somebody leasing it, which is what I heard, but I confirmed it through them. And, you know, I was like, well, if something ever changes, you know, if they don't want to lease it next year or if they, um, give it up, what, whatever, you know, like in the future, I'm thinking even a couple of years, you know, I never thought what would happen, but so that whole year goes by, they were leasing the property and I kept my feelers out there, you know, Hey, let me know, let me know without trying to bug them. And lucky enough for me, I don't guess the people knew that deer was there. You know, I don't, some people run a lot of cameras. Some people hunt a lot and, apparently these people didn't because they didn't they didn't know that deer was there or you know maybe they didn't want to lease it again because of they didn't want to spend the money i I don't know what it was but they gave it up and i was fortunate enough to be standing there waiting on it like (laughs) oh yeah i'll take it yeah yeah Yeah. yeah." you know like kind of one of them name your prices but i was trying to play poker you know (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. play cool (laughs) yeah yeah i didn't want to act too excited but uh so that was the game changer. That was um, that was really where it changed for me as far as realizing, okay, I got a shot to kill this deer. Because I, I knew just after that year, 
he's gone for 90% of the season. He's back, you know, the last couple of weeks of season. And obviously he sheds and, um, I was fortunate enough to find a shed that year, um, laying right out in the middle of the field and kind of, yeah, I was pure just luck that he dropped on that side, but I couldn't find the other one. And there's not much woods there to search. So if it's not out in the field, it's just not there where I'm able to get it. So, I did get the lease and started preparing that kind of thinking, what do I do here? You know, I don't know anything about the farm. I don't know anything about how the deer move through there. It kind of makes sense in my head looking at it, but at the same time, you know how that is. Every time you think you got it figured out, yeah, they do something totally opposite. So I don't know if you want to jump into any of that or if you want me to keep going with the kind of the timeline. Yeah. Well, well tell me, tell me what the, trail camera strategy was as far as like trying to figure some of that stuff out and and how you know how do you run i guess generally how do you run cameras to learn about these deer and then what did you have to specifically do on this new property to figure out this deer okay so the property is kind of like it's it's 150 acres also and it's a lot of cattle pasture and it's a lot of finger woods but there's one big block of timber on it and i say big block like 35 40 acres of it's um you know really thick nasty but that's the majority of the woods there and then everything is kind of like fingers off of that which you there's three two main fingers and then kind of like a little satellite finger or whatever you want to call it but um so I started slow. I, I put some cameras out, natural trails, threw them fingers, and really didn't want to go into that other area at all. Um, just because I knew if he was going to stay on the property, I mean, that was his core bedding area. Like, there was no doubt in my mind on that, but I was uh, quickly uh, proven wrong. <laughs> uh, he... This So I put some cameras out on these fingers and just natural corridor type stuff, you know, no, no bait or nothing at first and really uh, try to just learn what the deer do. And I had the other property still. So, you know, we're fast forwarding to the next year and I got pictures of him on that other property where I was originally getting pictures of the velvet pictures of him um, the past year, like had the camera on the same tree you know, everything. Um, he, he blew up again, like, I mean, another 20 inches. Um, so now he's a big six by six and just a giant, like, I mean, it was, his frame is comparable now when I killed him, but I mean, it was when I got the first pictures, I was like, this has got to be fake. Like, (laughs) I was like, this isn't real. Like I actually have a chance to kill this deer or, you know, an opportunity I had landed the lease. Like I was kind of nuts, if you will, about trying to pin that lease down and, you know, get confirmation that I can hunt where I thought this deer was living. Um, but I put cameras out over there like I always did and, and started getting velvet pictures of him. I'm like, wow. All right. That's when I went into a different gear of, I'm going to try to kill this deer. So I had the new lease. I was putting cameras on them fingers, nothing you know, didn't get any pictures of him. I'm like, all right, I got to move back a little bit, move towards the other property, 
that I was hunting, which they do, but you know, they're side by side. Um, so I moved a little more towards that fence line and still nothing, you know, we're into August at this point, probably, but he's still up there on, you know, the property I had the year before. And as soon as he shed velvet, you know, two weeks in, he slowly started moving into this property. Like, I mean, when I say slowly, like the closest, you know, camera I had to that property, he started showing up on a little bit, but no other cameras. Then he started showing up a little deeper into the property and then a little more and then a little more. And then as the season came around, I really started to figure out, okay, this is where he lives. Like I had confirmation, like, all right, this deer's here. Now I got to figure out a strategy on how to kill him because everything coming in and out of the property he can see me like i just have that feeling like okay he can see me so it was that was probably the biggest hurdle of all of this but i don't want to dive too deep into that but so i started getting the pitch you know i got them on scrapes at this point you know they're really starting to hit scrapes and i'm getting a bunch of pictures of him like i'm excited like i'm thinking i might be able to kill this deer like this year like almost easier than i thought because he was showing up all the time but quick question for you further with the cameras how so you've got 150 acres that you've got the lease with and 150 acres that you have permission on next to it Mm -hmm. how many cameras are you running in a situation like that trying to figure this deer out so the the one i had before i had two cameras on it and only because like I said, 150, I mean, there might've been 15 acres of woods, you know, it was super small. And most of that was like strung out, you know, fingers. So I kind of knew what, how the deer moved through there. So I only had two over there. And then the new property, I had three on it at first, um, because I was just trying to really not press in anywhere that would bump that deer or just trying to learn before I just went cowboy on it. Yeah. Uh, Um, so five total on both of those pieces at first, but that changed dramatically in the next few years. All right. So, so continue on from there then. So, um, kind like I was I just, I thought, all right, I got a chance here, but you know, getting in and out was the access was the problem. Um, anytime I was there, he wasn't, we've all been there. Um, mm-hmm. but I ended up having an opportunity like October. No, it was late November that year. Um, and this, it's, this property's like, it's all broke up to where when I say like, I have a camera on this finger, you know, it's 200 foot long and, th- you know, 50 yards wide just to paint the picture. And if I had it at one end on a scrape, nothing, you know, there's another scrape at the other end of it. This is literally kind of what happened. And he would show up there all the time. So like any, like little movements, micro movements was kind of how I was getting a little bit of Intel with this deer. Like if I just kept it on that end of that, uh, finger, you know, on a scrape that was, you know, blowed out every time I was there, I wouldn't have him on there. Like so that kind of was a game changer for me. It was kind of weird. So you then, so you, you, you said you had an opportunity at him though. So how did you, 
how'd you manage to get the opportunity despite the fact that it seemed like every time you went there otherwise he was not there because you've got this like sneaky suspicion he sometimes or somehow <laughs> sees you yeah so um i started kind of really only hunting one spot which you know i like to bounce around a little bit on other properties but this deer i was just like i said just trying to figure him out and it wasn't really going my in my favor so there was one camera he was kind of alluding to more than anything and it happened to be the camera that i could you know the stand set up that i could get to the easiest um like a little drainage swale went through the middle of the property and i could walk it in and then it led me to a creek and i could walk the creek up and then from the creek it like went up a little hill and then there was a big field that was all you know hidden in the back um which was beans that year and actually it was yeah it was corn that year and he just liked to be back there i think just to you know being secluded but i still couldn't really figure out where he was bedding i had a couple options in my you know head that i thought but that was just the biggest opportunity i felt like i had and you know i hunted it i don't know how many times but not very few a lot of my friends were you know why aren't you hunting? Why aren't you hunting? Why aren't you hunting? If the scenario wasn't perfect, you know, I wouldn't hunt. Like I, I'd rather not run a deer out, you know, than just be in the woods to be in the woods. I think a lot of that happens because it's season, you know, everybody thinks they need to be in the woods and I don't know. I don't have that, whatever that tick is or whatever that is. I just don't have it. Uh, I feel like I need to, especially this year, I needed to make sure that I didn't bump him off the property and push him over to, you know, the neighbors that I was still, you know, trying to figure out. But anyways, I, I kept hunting that area in late, late season when it got cold. Um, I had corn out and I kind of tried to only put it out in one spot after I kind of figured out this is where he likes to be. So I just broadcasted out through the cut corn and he came in at like 60 yards or so um, was as close as he got that night. But it was just, I'm comfortable with that in a field scenario. I'm comfortable with a 60 yard shot, but it was just a little, not the right scenario. If that makes sense. Like it was a little bit low light. It was a little bit, he was kind of, you know, facing me at time. Like it just wasn't comfortable, and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I drew on him. I'm like setting my pin, you know, getting it on him and really barreling down on him and thinking this is going to happen. And I don't know, just something went off in my head. I was like, I can't do it. Like it just wasn't the comfort wasn't there. So yeah. Little did I know that that would have been the only time that year I would ever have a chance. You know, there's still, you know. I'm, you know, late December. So there's still, you know, month, month and a half or so or whatever here, month and a couple weeks. So I'm still pretty optimistic. And that was it for that year. I mean, nothing. And did he just dis- disappear off the property or was it that he was there, but you just couldn't see him no, in he, person? Yeah, he was there. He stayed there. Um, just never got him in person. Um, little tidbit for the future. Like, if like so the first time i ever got consistency of daylight with him like in a few days in a row um 
we had a dusting of snow and then like another dusting behind it the next day. And he showed up three days in a row in daylight and hmm. kind of put that in the back of my head. Like, huh, you know, we, we all know that deer move better than, but when you, I got a deer that's there all the time, but not daylight. And it's, you know, that's a, that's a time to be in there. Of course, I'm in a different stand when he did it. Um, but I kept that in the back of my head and then in the, in the future years that, uh, that was kind of his trademark as far as daylight. And it was kind of wild snow, snow, a dusting of snow, the first dusting, the first huh. dusting or, you know, snow at all. He would show up in daylight. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. All right, so this is year three, right, that we're describing mm-hmm. here. And you you have him at 60, not quite the right opportunity, but he daylights a bunch with that snow you are now, you know, the, season, the rest of the season goes by, never get another chance at him. Year four, year five, year six is when you kill them. So you've got two years in between now, between now and when you kill him. 
Yep. What what happens that next year? He's got to be like number one for sure. You're obsessed. You're full blown crazy at this point. Is that right? Oh yeah. I didn't even like the year that we were just talking about. I didn't sit anywhere else. Didn't <laughs> care about anything else. Like I ran all the same cameras I normally run. Had some really good deer on you know some of those properties. Had some really good deer that I you know hindsight's 2020 but you don't wish i would have probably would after versus you know the story i would never change it for anything with him but you know how it is when you focus on that deer and you know you don't kill him you're like man i should have went after that deer or i should have did this and because they were big mature deer too they just weren't him and they weren't that big and um back to the you know like you were saying just the the kind of the chess match you have with them and you're like i'm not letting him beat me this year yeah (laughs) but they do over and over and uh (laughs) So the net, yeah, that was the end of that year. But so the next year I did, I did kind of the same thing. I didn't really change much because this property, there wasn't much I could change. What I needed to figure out was where and what like he was doing in daylight because he was there. The only time the deer would disappear was during the rut. And this property is super weird. So we're talking about, you know, 300 acres. I had the same three bucks every year, him being one of them and nothing else, like a couple spikes and, you know, (laughs) stuff you wouldn't even realize, you know, what do you really look at on your camera? You know, just some random deer. But as far as any, like anything from a hundred, you know, 80 inches up, it was the same three deer every year. And it was one of them being him. And I bet I didn't have a handful of those on that property. It was just a weird so that was kind of weird for me, you know, like trying to figure out, okay, it's getting close to rut. I know he's going to disappear again and he'd be gone for like the whole month of November and it would make me nervous. So nervous. Yeah. But cause I wouldn't get a picture at all. You know, we're going from pictures every night on one or two cameras, you know, something's triggering every night with him to nothing. <laughs> I mean, not a glimpse and boom, like clockwork, he'd show back up the end of November and, that kind of played a big role on kind of how I handled it. But at the, at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for words because it was, it was so mind boggling to me. Like I couldn't figure anything out on this deer. Like I, I, I I'd go out there to glass, you know, observation type stuff and wouldn't seem, wouldn't get a glimpse of him. Like this deer out of the six years that, you know, I hunted him four years yeah, four years out of the six that I knew about him. And until this year, I, you know, I, I saw him in person three times, four times, had zero footage of him. I'd go out there for velvet footage, zero footage. Of, you know what I mean? Like I'd put all my time in this yeah. deer and any other deer yeah. I did that, I would have glimpses and I would have footage and velvet. Like I was just you know, really putting a story together and putting some time in and it was paying off. But this deer, no, no, <laughs> it was not happening. So I'm like, do I even know what I'm doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, what do I do here? Like right. I, I couldn't get anywhere. It was, ah, it was wild. But, um, that year that you were talking about, so going on, what is that? The fourth year. Yeah. Yep. So going on the fourth year, 
um, I kind of did the same thing like I was saying. And, you know, I knew where the scrapes were going to be, and they were in the same spot, and I ran the same cameras. And kind of just accepted the fact that late season, when it gets cold, 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 I'm going to, you know, that's my opportunity for this deer. So once again, we got snow coming. Um, I got to be in the stand, got to be in the stand. He shows up, but he stays out at like 70 yards and wouldn't come any closer, just fed out in the field and just never did come, you know, through my pinch point where I was hunting him and, Still in that same stand that I was telling you, you know, is the easiest way in and out where I didn't feel like I was ever bumping him or or affecting anything. So it was kind of doing that. The wind, you know, the the normal wind was good there. Um, so just just safe, you know. Sometimes you got to get aggressive, but I I just was I don't know scared to do that. So um, stayed safe and just kept doing the same thing, sitting in the same stand, same results. But first snow shows up um stays out you know out of range and there goes that night next night same thing but he stayed out farther like on the other side of the field so i feel like i'm getting close you know about a week goes by um and i get an opportunity he comes all the way across the field i had to watch him for like 400 yards it was great uh <laughs> trying to keep my stuff together and <laughs> there's a couple does in front of him and they're moving right where I need them to go. And he's kind of, uh, kind of just following suit. Like, I'm like, man, this might happen, but I'll backtrack for a second. So like 20 minutes before that, there's a coyote that comes out. And if I get a chance to kill a coyote, I'll kill it. doesn't matter. And no deer in the field, this coyote trots by at 10 yards. And, I draw and as I'm shooting this guy, he turns towards me. So it goes in behind his shoulder and goes out like his, you know, his butt and it cuts his tail plumb off. Wow. And <laughs> yeah. So now I got an arrow and a coyote tail <laughs> laying 10 yards in the field. And I'm like, uh, that was, that was different. You know, ideal. Yeah, I was, it was not ideal. And I'm, I'm hunting on, I really started to try to hunt, you know, the edges of these scent zones, you, you know, really putting, that was my riskiness, like was hunting what the wind was good for him and he would come my direction, but I was, you know, on the edge of them zones. Um, I'm sure you've talked about that a lot with people that kill big deer. That's something that I was kind of learning at that time to really push in and try to do that because you know a big deer wants the the wind in his favor yeah so he yeah. was getting like a getting what like, like a, a kind of a quartering across wind or something yeah and you were just cutting much, the corner yep. yep i was just cutting the corner and really trying to just stay just stay on the edge of that field to where my wind was kind of casting down the edge of the woods to where they'd have to come in the woods to pick me off but if they were in the field i was good but it's still the wind that he needed to come across that field. And I knew that's what he did a lot. That's kind of what I was figuring out. Um, just being out there, I would see him quite a bit like in this back corner when I was getting glimpses of him. And then he, he would come across that field kind of the same way, but he would never come you know, far enough to me. So it was a real risky wind. And, and believe it or not, them does come out and they get super alert and 
they're kind of stomping and they start blowing. And I'm like, what in the world? That coyote tail is all I can think about. Like, I'm thinking, I know they're not smelling me. Are they smelling that? They come all the way over across this field, like 400 yards. And they're walking and stomping and their tail's up. And I'm, we all have the pain in the rear end doe that she blows at everything. Yep. Like, we'll call her the Karen. But like, I mean, she would come out and the wind would be dead in my face and she'd just start blowing like, so it's that doe. So I'm like, I don't know what she's doing, but she's still coming my direction with her fawns. And she gets over there and she goes right to it. Um, my arrows, you know, sticking with aluminum glowing out of it. And there's the tail laying there. It's like his full tail, you know, she's sniffing it and messing with the arrow and she kind of comes like right to my ladder and at this point he's behind her probably 60 80 yards so i'm really you know dialing in and get focused trying to figure out what's what's his next move and he starts to do the same thing like kind of like but he freezes but he's in the same you know he's he's smelling that tail is all i can ever think i know it sounds crazy but there was no way he was smelling me and um he kind of froze and lights you know like right now he's probably 65 70 yards to give you a picture um right in the middle of the field and i'm like all right he's gonna come in he's gonna come in so i draw when he starts to move and he gets to like 60 i don't know 55 and he's facing me and i sit there for like three minutes at full draw like i don't know how long it was it felt like it was an hour but I finally let down and that doe is at my ladder <laughs> and my arrow slaps because I was just fit so fatigued. It, it slaps and uh, n- n- none of the deer moved. She, it's like she didn't even hear it. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, I'm thinking she was going to scatter. Like, I thought I already messed it up. You know how that happens. And uh, yeah. nothing, nothing. So it just stayed the same. Like she's staying at my ladder. He's standing out there and I'm like, all right, when do I draw again? He goes to make another couple steps and I draw and he's still facing me. I'm like, come on, turn broadside. Come on, turn broadside. He doesn't. And I'm like at another couple minutes and I'm, I'm filming this. So it was like a three minute interval or something. I can't remember exactly, but he finally does make a move and everything felt right. Uh, everything was perfect. I didn't have a luminoc on this arrow, so it was kind of hard to see. And it's kind of a lower light situation. And I didn't have my camera adjusted at that point because I was just focused on killing him. But everything was on footage, you know, on film, but you couldn't see, you know, where the arrow hit or anything. And it, you know, it was that empty hollow sound that you want to hear. Like everything felt perfect. Um, and he runs off and I get my binoculars on him and I can see blood pouring out of him because he stopped at like 80 yards and his head's hung and kind of looked a little bit low, but I still couldn't tell exactly what happened. And, uh, I still felt good about it. Uh, you know, it didn't look too concerning. You know, I couldn't see it perfect, but it, you know, cause he's walking away from me. I see blood pouring out of both sides. He walks off. Um, I kind of watch him walk off and he's, you know, super hurt, head hung. I'm thinking maybe I hit him in the guts. I, you know, really didn't know was distraught. First year I've ever really, um, you know, 
say it. <laughs> I teared up over and like, I mean, just every emotion poured out of me because yeah. I thought I finally, you know, it finally happened. And, um, went and took a couple hours, like three hours and went back and was a bunch of blood, really good blood. And I, every fit. So this is cattle fence, you know, farm once again, and there's really good fence, um, all around it. So there was one spot in the fence where it was down and he like went to the fence where it wasn't down and would not jump it and walked up and crossed there and went into the big set of woods, you know, where I know they all bed and started in that and like instantly kind of turned left and went out of it, went back into the field and he went to like three fences and would not jump any of them. Um, just like walked all the way down them and then boom, nothing. Blood disappeared. I had good blood the whole time. It just disappeared like it vanished. And I had coyotes light up probably 45 minutes after I shot or so. So I'm thinking maybe they ran him or something. I walked for like mm, probably seven days in a row just getting permission on every property that neighbored it trying to find him because I just had this gut feeling that he was dead and I had this gut feeling that the coyote bumped him and you know who knows how far a deer can run you hear different stories all the time where they're you know two miles away from where they were shot but they're yeah. dead. you know I just want to put every stitch of effort I could to try to find him and uh that did not happen I never even jumped him or saw him during that whole time um so I'm like you know I, I back to that sleepless night thing. Like I didn't, I couldn't function. Like it, it shut me down. Um, two weeks goes by like two and a half weeks. He shows up on camera with no horns on, uh, big wound in him. And I hit him low, perfect alignment, but just low. Still don't know how I didn't, I don't know, nick a heart or, you know, hit that artery that runs down there and, still trying to put it all together in my head. But at the same time, you know, I realized, okay, he's alive. That's good. But he's got no horns on. <laughs> before, before you go further, how did you handle just like after that wounding and you couldn't find him? Like, how'd you handle those days? The couple weeks after that, did you, were you, were you like, man, I'm done. I don't even want to hunt anymore. Or were you kind of like, all right, I got to get back on the saddle, keep trying again. Like, how'd you, How'd you handle that like lowest of low moment? Uh, not not very good, Mark. <laughs> um, didn't handle it well at all. Um, I, I don't. This deer has just completely consumed me. So I had no if like I had no thoughts of wanting to go hunt anything else. Um, my goal was just finding him if he was dead. You know, confirming something because I had such good blood and I thought the shot was still good and, you know, was still trying to figure that out in my head and you know how it goes when you replay everything, everything changes a million times. And, uh, I still can convince myself that he wasn't dead. Like I just, everything felt right. I didn't, you know, nothing felt wrong other than the fact that, you know, the, the blood just was boom, gone. Um, so really I just went into survival mode of trying like to do anything I could to find him. And like I said, I mean, I asked everybody that was around for permission and walked and walked and walked and walked and, you know, never even 
like I was saying, never saw him, never found any anything else. It was kind of wild. It's kind of one of the only times I've had that happen where, you know, I, had, I still, after all that, had no <laughs> had no confirmation of anything. So I really went into, okay, I'll dump a bunch of feed and just try to keep something here. So if he is hurt and he's wounded and he comes back, I'll get a picture and I'll know. And that's what happened. Uh, he did. And he stayed uh, the rest of the year, and he stayed all through the winter. And, man, he shriveled up to nothing. Like, he was skin and bones. Like, I felt so bad. Like, I felt like I shot my dog. Like, I felt terrible. Um, so I, I fed all year. I never stopped feeding. I kept a bunch of uh, protein type feed, you know, out for him, just trying to really do anything I can do to help his nutrition and keep him alive at that point. And I was thinking, you know, I'm just going to stop getting pictures of him and I'm going to find him dead. Um, but that didn't happen. So he did make it, but uh, jumping back real quick, when he had, when he came in and he didn't have the horns on, they were like bloody, bloody, like they looked like it just fell off. And it was, uh, actually my mom's birthday. So we were doing dinner for her that night and we were all going to dinner and this, he showed up like noon that day. And I was like, ah, I got to run out and at least drive the fields. You know, a lot of stuff is, you know, was fields. So I'm like, at least cover the easy stuff, like real quick, just to see if I can find his sheds. Um, drove all over that property, never did find them. And, you know, I'm been there maybe 45 minutes an hour or something. And, we pull out of there and as we're driving away on the main road, um, and my wife was with me and I was like, you know, I always feel like I'm going to find sheds right here. And we're just talking about, it. I'm like, I'm just going to go slow and look down this fence line. And I'm not, I know it happens, but I've never been one to really find them when they jump fences and stuff. So I don't really kind of ever focus on that, but, um, I'm like, I'm just going to drive real slow and boom. <laughs> they're laying 30 yards off the road no both way. Of them side by side <laughs> yeah i that's crazy yeah she got a video of me she's like if i wasn't with you i would have never believed you and i'm like oh thanks honey but <laughs> you got to see it it was pretty it was pretty wild i couldn't it was kind of just another you know adding to the story but uh it was a it was a sick it was he was sick like it was a it was a i felt I can't reiterate that enough. I felt terrible. Like, honestly, I've never had a deer that I've, you know, wounded like that where he shows back up and you watch him digress. Like, you just watch him whittle away to nothing, and that was miserable. Like, that was terrible, and there was nothing I could do. You know, it was late season, so when he did show back up, it was already season was over, and, you know, there was nothing to be done other than try to keep him alive and put, a, you know, nutrition out there for him to – put weight back on and i mean he was like skin and bones it was terrible so yeah that's brutal what yeah what was the uh the following year did you go into that year so, with a different game plan at all did you go in thinking keep on trying the same things and hope he's alive and and then just keep on chipping away at her what, what was the next year plan um Pretty much, but I kind of committed this year to, to to being a little more aggressive. Um, 
least, you know, in my head, that was going to be my plan because the deer did the same stuff, you know, really every year, but he just was nocturnal. He just didn't daylight much. And we all, they move somewhere in daylight, you know, they move a little bit in daylight here and there, you know, it happens, but I just could not figure him out. And, uh, so I started running cameras. I kept cameras out in his core area. So I kind of kept track of him, you know, all through that winter. And as he started to grow the next year, you know, I never pulled cameras. I left them and he started growing and his bases were a lot smaller. Like I'm thinking he's going to be, you know, 150 inch deer or something. I'm thinking, you know, he's going to be, it's going to be bad. Um, but I kind of commit committed to, you know, no matter what I'm going to, you know, whatever he is, it's, it's still him. And I'm going to, you know, it's not about the score and stuff at that point. It's, you know, the history and the story that's kind of unfolding. And, uh, I was going to kill him if I had the chance and he actually grew like his bases were a lot smaller, but when he grew out, he grew a really goofy side on his right side, which was obviously from the wound. Um, and he had like two big spikes and then like a third spike, but it had like some little drop time points off of it, like completely nothing in any type of shape that he was, you know, he's a big clean typical. Um, so he grew this really funky kind of non-typical side. And then the, the left side stayed exactly like it always was. Um, so then I was kind of like, all right, this is, you know, it's kind of cool, but he did kind of the same thing and I kind of did the same thing up until uh, November when he disappeared. And I had uh, some, other knowledge of this big buck that was close to where my mom lives and had found some of the sheds of that deer and a buddy of mine found some sheds. And so I knew this deer was in the area and I got permission, um, to hunt that like this 15 acre piece kind of at the same time. So I knew when he disappeared, I was going to go over and, you know, just try my luck with that for a little bit. This was a big mainframe eight with double drops. And I was like, you know, if it works out, it works out. Maybe my deer will recover from, you know, what he is this year. And, uh, I ended up getting lucky enough to, to shoot that deer that I'm telling you about last year. So, um, I got lucky enough and shot him and that was kind of the end of me hunting my buck at that point that year. And of course, you know, I shoot my deer and like three days later, he like daylighted like four days out of, out of a week. My deer did <laughs> like, of course he did. And, uh, so that was kind of the end of that year. I, I looked all over for the sheds. Like I had him on camera, you know, one side of the farm. And then he showed up on the other side of the farm, you know, 16 hours later and didn't have any, any of his sheds. And I looked all over and couldn't find, that was the only year that I didn't find at least one side of him was last year. And I never did and never heard of the neighbors or anything finding them. So I don't really know what happened with that, but fast forward to this year and he, was the biggest he ever was. I don't even need he went right back to normal. Um, right. The other, I mean, there's not even like a glimpse of the side he had. I don't know. Have you ever seen that happen? I mean, you know, I, I've had one buck that I followed closely. that got really wonky. Um, but I've never seen it go from like wonky to really normal again. But I, I, I can get it. Like I, I can kind of see how that might be the case. 
um, like whatever happened that year, they're able to heal back up and stuff gets normal again and they're back to square one. I don't know. They're crazy critters. Yeah, I, yeah it's back to the interesting part of them, but like to totally recover, honestly, it kind of blew my mind. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I know he's going on, you know, that nine year old range this year. And I'm really, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know what to expect. Like had no clue of what, what he was going to be. But when I first got started getting pictures and these pictures that I'm telling you, I'm getting, they're in the same spot where it all started. Like every year, that's where the velvet pictures were, you know, and then it moved, he moved through the property, this, you know, over to the other property where I still have at least. And, he did the same things, but uh, the fact that he went back to normal blew my mind, and the fact that he was the biggest he'd ever been at nine years old. Yeah. Oh, it was kind of, I don't know, breath of fresh air, and I don't know. Uh, so you you kind of came into the picture at this point. <laughs> um, so you know a little bit, you know, of the story at, you know, kind of when you, you came out and hunted and, I'm telling you now I'm seeing him and I don't know this, this year just felt different and I, I don't really know that I did anything different other than when I killed him. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, hold on, hold on. We got, we got to rewind the clock just a little bit. So, so yeah. come into this year, you get pictures of him in, in the summer, right? Is that right? Summer pictures? Yeah. Summer pictures. Sorry. So you see what he is. He's back to normal. He's, of course, your number one target. And you're thinking, I guess, what do you know? Like at the beginning of this year, if you were to sit down and tell me, like, all right, what are the key things I know about this deer and how do I think I'm going to kill him? What were those things? Like in my mind, like, for example, I was after a buck this year in Michigan. And from my three years of history with him, I kind of knew, like, all right, I've dialed in, like, where his absolute core area is. It's near the swamp. And I know, like, I've got a window in October and then a window in early December. And those are like my best chances, I think, based on what has happened in the previous years. And so I went into this year thinking, all right, I've got like, I'm going to take an early strike, maybe late October strike if he's daylighting or anything like that. And then I'm going to stay yep. out in November unless he surprises me because he's gone. And then this annual pattern, when that comes around, I'm, I'm going to hit as, as soon as the conditions are right, I think he'll be back. And like, that was my plan for that deer. Did you have, like, what were the things you thought you knew about this deer, and what was your plan this year based off that? So, kind of exactly what you just explained. It's kind of weird, but it's kind of how I attacked it. Um, I kind of knew where, at this point, you know, I've kind of been hectic and bouncing all around with the story, but, you know, it's more of the excitement of just, you know, it finally happened and everything. But to kind of back, you know, up, I learned so much hunting this deer that it really taught me a lot about hunting whitetail but he was a super super small core area deer like his core area was tiny and every year it got smaller and smaller and i started to learn that throughout the years and kind of his little like you're saying like you're gonna take that early october you know strike um I kind of attacked it the same way. I kind of knew what he was going to do or what areas he was going to frequent the most on this farm. Um, but it goes back to it. I, I don't, I've never been known as like an aggressive hunter. I'm usually the one that plays it safe as far as, you know, I don't want to bump them and I don't want to push them to the neighbor. And it, I think it just comes from, 
that happening, you know, not necessarily bumping them, but just the neighbors killing them or, you know, hit by a car or whatever. Like I just didn't want to push this deer to the limits where I lost him of, of any magnitude. So I always played it safe, but this year I, I told myself I'm going to be a little more aggressive. I'm going to kind of do things differently, but I'm going to do like, go to what I know. And you, you just said it perfect. I mean, I was going to take an early strike where I knew he was going to be and he he never he's never rutted on the farm like i've never seen him rut on the farm i've never seen him chase a doe i've never seen and i've hunted during all those times and you know once he disappears you know i wait for him to show back up and then i go back in but this year was it was different from the start of the rut and i think that's really where my tactics changed and i got aggressive because he was messing up like I've never seen him mess up. Like I've just never seen him do it. And I don't know what changed this year. I don't know. Maybe them does came in first and he just, you know, bred everything on the, you know, bred the three does that's there. But, uh, I, I think that's really where the the game changed for me this year, because I would have done kind of took that early strike. Like you're talking and only because I felt comfortable of knowing what he does. But then when, you know, he kind of starts getting in that rut phase, you know, he's just bouncing around everywhere and, I would hunt, but I just really didn't, yeah, I didn't really know where to be and when to be there. You know how it is, it's a cat and mouse game of bouncing around, and it seems like you always pick the wrong place. But uh, the core area I knew, and I knew what he did, and I knew when he was going to do it. It was just getting in there and being unseen on the way in and, you know, just setting it up for an opportunity to see him and get a glimpse and see, you know, hopefully walk you know, past me that day. But this year when I got a picture of him, like, so I started running a lot of cell cams and that was, to be honest, a game changer because you're out, you know, you can, you can kind of tuck them back in them core areas and you don't have to go check them and you don't have to, and you got live, you know, live footage of what he's doing to a certain extent. And, uh, you don't have to put boots on the ground to go pull your card and, Oh man, he was in here all week last week. You know, it's just a, it's just a different, it's a, it's a game changer. But that I had like seven or eight cameras on this property this year. And I really put them everywhere that I had learned from the past years of what he does. And I really went to focus on two scrapes that I know he he frequents, and I know it's going to be him if, it, if that scrape's blowed out. And then all of his travel, like any areas that I thought he was, like I know what he, you know, knowing what he does, like I really wanted to attack those areas with cameras just to kind of catch his every move. And it, I got a picture at like noon one day, and there was a doe running past the camera first. It like triggered, and then like he's in the background, and then it triggered again. And this and, is uh, in November? Yeah, be late October, early November. Yeah. Like, or, yeah, it was probably the first. Yeah, it was the first couple of days in November, actually. So you're, um, you're surprised then? <laughs> very, very. Because I'm like, it looks like he's rutting. It looks like he's chasing a doe on this farm. What in the world? Like, kind of really threw me off guard. And it just so happened that that was right in front of what I would call my safe spot, you know, where I can walk in and I'm not worried. And, you know, the, the stand location that I keep telling you I was hunting all those years, like 
so it was a perfect case scenario and I go in that evening and he showed up and he, I, I knew what I, well, you always say, like I say I knew, but you know, I had an (laughs) inkling of, of where I thought he went that day and bedded down and I was really comfortable that that's where he went. So I kind of walked out of my realm of the way I normally walk and kind of stayed away from that because where I thought he was was probably 100 yards from my stand. And sure enough, he came out of that little wood lot and uh, ran the doe right out in front of me, about 90 yards, 100 yards. Um, Got some really cool footage of him. Got some – it was just cool to see him. It was was awesome, but it was – it was early. It was like three thirty, four o'clock. Like it was cool. And he was running and he was on that doe. And like he was tending her and would not let her get away from him at all. So that being said, I'm like, all right, here we go. Like I'm, I'm going to be in here every day, all day. If I have to, I'm taking my chances. So I went back in the next morning. I saw him, uh, the same. So, when he came out of that little woodlot, he went straight across the field um, in front of me, but then kind of veered away and went into another spot where I know he beds. And that morning he came out of that spot with that doe because like three little bucks went in there and he ran one out and was on the edge of the woods and then like went in and got his doe and then came across the field of about 150 yards um, in front of me and kind of turned around his doe went in the woods and he turned around and just stood there for like 10 minutes like waiting on them bucks to come out of that woods and they like, come on, try it. Like it was kind of wild. Like he let his doe go and he turned around and he was just stomping his feet constantly. Like just standing there, like, you know, breathing hard. Like he was ready for a fight. It was kind of cool just getting to see him do buck stuff because I, I didn't, I didn't get to see that, you know, all this time I'm hunting this deer, you know, I don't, I didn't really get to see a whole lot of that. So it was kind of, yeah, I'm just taking it all in. I'm filming it, and yeah, I know I'm not going to kill him, but I just – I feel, you know, that day I wasn't going to kill him. But I knew uh, – I knew I was – it was different this year. I just – I had that, okay, this is my chance. If you're going to ever kill this deer, this is it. So I hunted four days in a row, three of those days all day, and – uh I maybe five days in a row, but I saw him another like four times. Um, and he stayed at that. The closest he ever got was 83 yards. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. 
The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land. Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. You talked about how you get in for these afternoon sits, um, following this draw up to the creek and then to the back of the tree. But what about morning hunts? How do you get in with all this field edge stuff? Are you worried about that? And then how do you get out without ever spooking this deer? Like, uh, Do you have some kind of secret magic to keep this deer from knowing how you're getting in and out? Or (laughs) is that like incredibly stressful for you? How do you handle that? So it's incredibly stressful because I'm not – I'm not a morning hunter, um, unless it's, you know, this scenario, I don't really hunt morning. So, and that's kind of the reason I don't always, you know, feel like I'm bumping the deer. I'm, you know, back to the cautious thing, but, um, yeah, it was, it was super stressful every time I went in, you know, I'm moving like a sloth and just trying every, luckily this area, I had walked it enough to where I've kind of, you know, had a clean path on the way in and went in a couple of days early, you know, and kick, kick my path out, if you will. Um, so I felt good as far as the, the sound, um, but always worried about running into him or, you know, whatever, you know, bumping his doe or whatever at that case, you know, bumping any deer, but back to the, you know, this farm doesn't have a lot of deer. So that was kind of the blessing in disguise that, you know, I really didn't realize until, you know, a few years into hunting this farm, but, um, super stressful. Uh, some days I went in at like, you know, I let it get daylight a little bit and that might sound crazy to some people, but like, I wanted to see going in. So I didn't bump him. Like I was, you know, glassing yeah. all the way in and just making sure he wasn't already out in that field. And to me, that was I was willing to take that chance versus walking in in the dark and, you know, crossing paths with him. So I kind of did that. I think I did that like two days out of that five, but, um, I, 
I don't know. It was super stressful. I don't like doing that at all. I, I don't. I don't know. It was, but I knew where he was going. Like the times I did see him, he was going in the big timber, and so I really had, you know, unless he had come out of there with his doe at that time, I, I just was real comfortable that he was on that doe and he was not leaving her. And unless she took him that way, you know, at that point, that's a, I guess a percentage factor. You kind of, I mean, that would be hard to do. You know what I mean? To cross paths at the same yeah. time. So I don't know. I kind of approached it that way. I didn't trust me. My wife thinks I'm crazy sometimes. And she's like, you just got to get in there and hunt. And <laughs> She's super into, you know, she's killed a lot of good deer and she's pretty smart with it. And she's like, I think you overthink it sometimes, which I do. But at that, you know, with this deer is just when you're not learning what or seeing what you want to see with the time you put in, it's hard to, to, to know your next step, I guess, you know, it's hard to be confident in anything. But in so, this case, you were so you hunted that four or five day stretch in November, and you were seeing him, but just never quite close enough. Yeah, he walked in the middle of the fields and stuff. Like he never walked down the edges of the you know the wood line. He always stayed out in the middle of the fields, and it was kind of wild, really. Like I've seen a few big deer do that, and I don't really maybe you know why they do that, but no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I, I don't. I don't know. I'd be interested to hear somebody's take on that. But did, did I, you did you at any point think like I got to do something different, like do something crazy, like I don't know, set on the other side somewhere else, or put a decoy out, or do something, or were you like, you know, if I just stick to the plan and be safe, he'll eventually make the mistake. So yeah, everything did change during them five days. I did. Uh, I started saddle hunting last year and really did that all year until I killed my deer um last year but i like the mobility of the saddle and i know you do a lot of saddle hunting so kind of put your take on it but yep. i i like the mobility of it and being able to kind of hunt different trees that you never looked at before um getting in different little areas that you just really never had that opportunity to do because you know hanging a stand and that tree wouldn't work and oh, i got to cut 40 limbs down if i'm going to do you know it's just it's a different perspective and honestly, that was a game changer because I kept seeing him do one thing more than the other, which was cross this corner of this field and kind of cut the edge of it and go through that down fence that I talked about. He walked through after I shot him that year. Um, and I really started to focus on that corner a little more because it just seemed like that. And I knew he bedded in this little section of woods that was basically disconnected to the big set of woods. So there's a little block like fingerish type of woods where I know he bedded. And then it was the big block, but that was like their little easy way to cross that. And it was the same field that I was always hunting. It was just the other side of it. And so two things, I saw him doing that and then was hunting in that same stand that I always hunt on that same side of the field that I always hunt. And I kind of see another field from that, you know, through a bunch of trees and it's like probably four or 500 yards away. And I was glassing it one night cause I saw some deer running and this is during that them days that we're talking. Um, and I saw some deer run and I kinda, I'm glassing, you know, I'm just barely picking out what they are. They're does and it's early. And, uh, 
I go back to where I saw the last doe run and I look and there he's like standing in my, you know, just boom, there he is. And I'm like, oh, and then I go into like, all right, what do I do? So I actually got out of the stand and was going to try to make a stock on him because it was like a perfect scenario. He was kind of up on this hill and was there was a little crest and the way I could come up, it was just perfect. And uh, so I got down and tried to make a move and um, there was a doe like that I never saw. I mean, I didn't see her until I got up on her, but like I got within like 15 yards of her and I looked up because I was kind of looking over in the direction where he was you know, headed thinking, you know, I'm going to keep my eyes on him and hopefully he doesn't drop over this hill before I get to where I need to be. And I look up and there's a doe and she's just eating the cut corn and never did see me. So I just like laid on the ground and had to sit there and 30 minutes go by and I'm like, all right, now I don't even know where he is. And I made the choice to go back to the stand. So I get up in the stand and I look at my trail cameras and he's standing on his hind legs, making a scrape. I think I showed you that picture. <laughs> it was, it was pretty cool. It was wild, but that's awesome. Well, so he, he does that. And I'm like, okay, well, good. I'm glad I didn't like press in because where he went was kind of dead away from me. And it would have been, I would have never caught up to him. Um, but he decides like 10 minutes later to come back across that scrape and he's headed back towards where I'm at, where I was going to be, you know, trying to make that stop. And he's, he's got a doe in front of him and he's coming towards me, but he's, you know, 500 yards away at this point. And, uh, this has kind of happened a couple of times, not this scenario exactly, but you know, he's moving on the farm in daylight and I'm over in my stand over here and, you know, I bounced out to this finger stand where there's some scrapes and then he'd be over here. And so I'm thinking it's the same old, you know, he's moving in daylight, but I'm not going to have a, you know, I'm not going to see him. Well, he came through, he came all the way across the farm and came right in front of me with his doe at like 40 yards, but it was too dark. All I could see was, you know, through the binoculars, I could see him. And, uh, I'm like, God, like, this is, this is rough. Like he's get he's just showing himself enough and, He's really putting the, the the pressure on me and really turning up the heat as far as like I'm still just as far as I've ever been, but I'm as close as I've ever been. If it make you know, it's just <laughs> it was tough. It was hard to swallow because every night, you know, I'm seeing him, which go back to, you know, the last, you know, three, four years, like I didn't see him at all hardly. You know, I'd have a couple sightings of him a year, maybe, you know, one opportunity. And at that it was a subpar opportunity every time. So now I'm seeing him a lot and I'm kind of in contact with you at this point and kind of play by play and feeding you some of it. And he just, boom, done, disappeared. He did his typical November thing, but he did it two weeks into November. And, uh, here I sat for two weeks on my hands, just waiting on him to show back up. And so the plan was like, you're not going to go back in there and hunt until you get confirmation. He's back. Is that like, keep the pressure low. Don't screw it up till I know he's there. Was that the plan now? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That was exactly the plan. Just because like you were talking about your deer, you know, you know, he's gone during November and there's kind of no reason to be there. And I know that isn't always the truth, but you know, I feel like I've had this, I got this deer figured out at this point to where I know where my opportunities are to kill him and, you know, when he disappeared, I was like, all right. And I hunted, you know, a couple of times right after that thinking, you know, maybe he's not disappeared. Maybe he's just locked down and he's not showing up on camera anywhere and he's not hitting the scrapes. And 
you know, I got so many cameras on that property. I felt like that I had everything covered as far as where he would move and how he would move. And he wasn't showing up. So I was like, I'm just going to stay out until he shows back up. So what happened next? (laughs) So, uh, two weeks go by and nothing. And, um, my wife's family, my brother-in-law, my father-in-law come in to hunt for gun season and they get here, you know, that Thursday before gun season, actually Thanksgiving. And, uh, so I'm kind of gearing up for them and, you know, my deer has been gone for, you know, at this point, like I said, two weeks and I'm just, I'm getting them ready and got some good bucks for them to try to kill. And, you know, kind of went in that mode and, uh, Saturday before gun season, boom, he shows up at like 10 30 in the afternoon. And so when I went across the field and hung that, I don't know if I actually said that, but I went over across the field in that corner where I kept seeing him throughout these you know days I was hunting and hung my saddle set up and I left my saddle set up there and I only hunted it like one or two nights and uh the wind had to be totally opposite you know it had to be a dead south wind um to work for this setup so this year's been a little weird with the winds but I really couldn't just go out there and hunt it and I didn't really want to because it was a lot longer walk in a lot a lot louder and so I just I hunted it a couple times and I just felt like a cow walking in like it was the most noisy thing in the world so (laughs) I didn't really hunt it a whole lot but I knew that I just had in the back of my mind that was going to be my scenario so I hung a camera on that fence crossing where it was down where the fence was laid down and I have a couple cameras around that field and that was just a hot spot throughout this, you know, time that he was gone. There was a lot of deer, you know, cutting that corner that I was talking about. And, uh, that's where he showed up at 1030 on Saturday before gun season. And I had it set on video mode. So I kind of watched where he went and he went in that little block of timber. I was just telling you about where I know he beds and I knew it just something in me was like, I was so confident he was bedded over there. So I was talking to a buddy on the phone. I'm like, I got to go in. He's like, you want me to drop you off on a side-by-side? I'm like, well, I've never done that. I don't know. You know, I've heard stories of people doing that. And I kind of done it in a different area, but I've never done it on this farm. And I was like, you know what? Let's try it. I'm like, because I just am not comfortable walking in. It's so loud. The leaves were just unreal in this little area. And I couldn't walk any different way. And I was still even nervous about him seeing me there. So I was like, yeah drive me on side by side. So I get up in the tree, set everything up and he takes off. No deer, nothing, nothing. Night's getting to the point where I'm like, all right, it's now or never. And I had a little four pointer walk under me and I'm like, well, I hope he doesn't walk that way. Cause that deer was just dead downwind. So I'm like, I'm hoping that's not where he comes from. And uh <laughs> deer kind of goes out in the field and he's just kind of grazing and he just picks his head up and he's locked right where I thought my deer would come from. And he's not lifting. And I'm like playing. I'm like looking at him, looking over. I'm like, he's got to, like, he knows there's something. Boom, there he shows up. Comes out right where, like, if I'd have drew it up, it couldn't have been any better. Um, comes out right in front of me. Oh, made a bonehead mistake of, <laughs> he was just on a dead walk, like, and it felt so close. I didn't need to range it. And I had some, 
I mean, I cut cornfield, but I had some, you know, grass strips and some stuff in the cornfield that I felt confident in my yardage. You know, it was markers that I had, you know, I'd shot them all and I kind of knew everything and, but I hadn't hunted this stand very much. So <laughs> that being said, you know how it is when he finally does show up, everything kind of, uh, yeah, that's the 35 yard yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> I talked myself right into thinking it was the 35 yard one. And uh, it wasn't. Uh, so I full draw, turn the camera on, full draw. Perfect. Like, gosh, it was perfect. And uh, my, I shoot a one pin and with two dots. Um, and the first dot was set on 35, and I left the other one on, you know, the second dot was at 50. So I draw and talk myself right in and thinking that's 35, and I shoot and don't know where the air went. I don't have a Luminox on it. I don't, I'm kind of weird about them. Don't really know how I feel, but so I didn't shoot a Luminox this year and I didn't, didn't see where my air went at all. Everything felt great. And he kind of ran out and just stopped. And I'm thinking, all right, this is one of those movie or, you know, like the shows, <laughs> like he's going to have blood pouring out of the bottom and he's just going to fall over uh-huh. the field because, you know, it smacked the corn when I shot. So it kind of sounded like what I wanted to hear. And it wasn't. And he's standing there, like, doesn't look. He's looking my direction, never looks up at me, never even really looked my direction long. He didn't know what happened at all. And uh, he kind of does this big loop in the field, and he's coming back to that fence crossing. Like, he's wanting to go still where he was going. So I was like, I had another arrow knock at this point, and I ranged him this time, and it was 52. And... My other pin was already on 50, so I just drew, and he's perfectly broadside. And that little four-pointer, like, ran over and was, like, where I shot at him was, like, kind of messing around and acting real funny, like, with my arrow. I guess he was smelling my arrow. I wasn't real sure. But I didn't know any of this at the time, but I knew my deer got super alert. Like, he kind of turned towards me. It was kind of quarter two, and I knew if I could just get it behind that shoulder, it would be perfect. And I was confident in my shot, and I shot, and – I heard what I wanted to hear and, you know, once again, you know, I, I, I thought I saw what I saw, you know, I thought it looked perfect. It looked right where I was aiming, but then, you know, you're second guessing you're like, did I, is that where they are actually, you know what I mean? Kind of way too well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a weird thing we all do. I don't, I don't know. Maybe some people don't do it, but I know I'm bad about it. And especially from, you know, the two years ago when I shot him and thought it was perfect. And now I'm just like, don't get your hopes up you know, one of those deals. And, uh, I could tell he was hurt when he ran off and he like ran off and he was kind of running out of steam and he went into the woods. And as he went into the woods, like I heard a crash, but I heard no aftermath, like no other sticks break, no other like pawing on the ground, you know, no kicking, no nothing. And I'm like, okay, did he just, so now my mind's working on against me again. I'm like, did he just run into a spot that wasn't a trail and he just broke through some stuff? you know, like went into a thick spot. So I backed out and went home and looked at the footage and, um, I had the camera panned out just enough that I got the second shot on camera and still really couldn't pinpoint where it hit. Like it looked like it was going good and everything was good, but you know, just, I didn't want to push the deer. So I waited a little bit, like probably three hours overall and went in there and, uh, went to the spot started instantly a bunch of blood and 
started following the blood and I'm like, all right, he went in right here. And my buddy had already seen him at this point, but I didn't. <laughs> and uh, if he would have, like, he basically just face planted into the woods. Like he barely made it out of the field and there was no kick marks. There was no, like, he must've just KO'd like right there. Like he didn't, you, there wasn't a leaf that looked like it was moved. Like he just went in there and fell over. And if he would have died like five yards before that, I would have watched him die in the field. But I had the worst 15-minute drive that felt like two hours back to my house to watch the footage to drive then back there. and Just stressing. Oh, like you wouldn't believe just because I got my hopes up the last time and <laughs> two years ago and it, it didn't work out. So everybody's like, you killed him, you killed him. And I'm like, oh, did I? Because I don't see him yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't have him sitting here yet, so. Oh, man. Uh, and, man, the feeling when I walked up, wow. That deer made me cry three times. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you think when you look on it, when you look back on that hunt, do you, do you feel if you had to say what it was that did it? If there's a key to your success or, or if there was like a, man, I did this thing really well and that finally got me here what would you what would you point at i would just say probably the persistence you you know like just being in there any chance i felt like it was good you know and probably just retaining the information because i think that's what honestly ended up you know why it ended up working out but i i would say you know, that on top of just actually maybe getting a little bit aggressive this year, kind of changing, because I didn't really feel like I was changing a whole lot. So, you know, him being there in rut and giving me the confidence to kind of bounce around a little more than I normally do. And then, you know, having the camera where I've never had it, you know, putting it at that crossing, because if I didn't have it at that crossing, I mean, think about it, I would have never. All right. You know, I wouldn't. So just switching up my my locations of camera and then switching up obviously the location where i was hunting and just i don't know just the perfect storm you know of getting dropped off on the side by side and i think that helped because i didn't you know walk in you know even if he did see it you know he didn't it didn't bother him you know he, he thought that you know the farmer drives around on tractors and side by sides and stuff all the time and you know, I kind of just think that was a, com- you know, it didn't bother him. It didn't make him uncomfortable. And, you know, where if he would have saw me walking in, it would have definitely made him uncomfortable. But um, I think just taking some risk, really, and then just staying, staying, uh, just staying with the, the game plan as far as sticking with that deer and not really, you know, other than last year, I never strayed. I hunted that deer straight for pretty much four years and never even gave another deer an opportunity other than the deer I killed last year. And I didn't really think that was very doable. If that makes sense, just kind of thought I'm going to go sit in a different place and, you know, maybe it'll work out where I killed this awesome deer and it did, but I don't know. I, I'm kind of, I kind of nerd out like you do on the, on the little things and the details and it might not have gave you much of that in this just because it's more about, the fun part of it, but like, you know, in the story of killing him, but there's so many little things you, you do that are might seem monotonous or might seem, you know, dumb to other people, but 
this deer was like the like the poster child for small little changes gave me so much more information like it almost didn't even feel like i was doing it didn't it, it didn't make sense you know i'd move a camera 40 yards and all of a sudden there's a bunch of daylight pictures of him or something you know what i mean like just yeah. just weird little stuff that i didn't really ever run into with another deer but it took me a long time to figure that out <laughs> so so you said that when you look back on this, this might be like, I think you said this, that this deer maybe taught you more than any other deer or something like that. Um, what, what were your biggest lessons from this hunt and from this buck? What do you take away? I'd say probably like if to me, like I, I knew the deer was living there, but the biggest lesson I figured out was kind of back to strategy of walking in. Like the deer taught me to pay more attention to that than what most people ever do. Most people, you know, bump deer and they don't even know they're bumping the deer. You know what I mean? They, they, their hunts over before they even get to their tree stand. And I think that was a big lesson I learned because I was hunting some spots in the beginning that I just, didn't really think about that and i know that's kind of something you you know maybe some people think about it second nature some people don't but you know you get excited and he's shown up and you're like oh i'm gonna go this way to get there and you don't really you know think about wow you're ruining your hunt before you ever get there like i think that deer taught me a lot about that a lot about hunting the edges of the you know the wind the zones that people talk about and being on that disaster zone to where it's good for the deer and you know it's almost bad for you you know like and that could change that's a fine line i feel like it's hard to play but i think that's one big thing i did differently and uh just just staying persistent on it like i don't you know how it is there's so many ups and downs you feel like you're never gonna kill the deer and then you get this boost of confidence. Yeah. You feel like you're going to, and I don't know, this deer never gave me that boost of confidence until this year. So I think just keeping my head down and plugging along was probably the biggest lesson that he taught me was just ups and downs of the miserable part of hunting, but also what makes it so sweet when you do kill him, like yeah. the grinding part of it, like this deer pushed me to the grinding, my grinding limits completely. Like I, it's so hard to hunt a deer year after year and with so little interaction with them. So, so here's what I wonder next. And this is something I've felt before. This, this has been a six year hunt and you talked about like the pers the perseverance and just like sticking to it and the obsession and all those kinds of things mm -hmm. that finally comes to an end. Oh, how does that how does that feel? Was that was that bittersweet? Uh, how do you feel now? Are you are you are you lost? Do you know what's next? Lost. lost. That's it. That's the <laughs> word. Lost. <laughs> Seriously, I, I, I mean that's it. I do feel lost. Like every time, you know, it's called you call it like the session part of it, but like you you'll get it. But other people might not. It's got kind of sounds weird, but like I don't even want to take my cameras down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't even want to move the 
cameras from where I get pictures of him. And like every time I look at my phone and, you know, or, you know, pull up the app and just look at the cameras and he's, I know he's never going to show up again. It's, it's weird, but it's like, Oh, he's, he's right here. But it's such a bitter, bittersweet ending. It's so sweet, but it's so, I've never had a deer pour so many emotions out of me that you can't control. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Mm-hmm. Like you get shook up and like stuff happens and you know, obviously the normal, but this deer, like, it just felt like the weight of the world was lifted when it actually, you know, when I actually got to lay my hands on him, like, and that's just because we're crazily obsessed with whitetail hunting. And yep. it's, uh, it's unlike anything else I've ever experienced, but this deer really poured that out of me. Like it was, uh, it was the most bittersweet thing I've ever been through. I almost wanting to be alive again, just so I can go do it. But well, like no. I was saying, is that that hunt sometimes is is the very best thing. The the constant chase, the questioning, the the wondering, the putting things together little by little by little. Um, man, that's uh that's just so so much fun. So I gotta believe if if I know you or if, if you're at all like me, you you must be like jumping to all right. Who's who's the next buck? Who's the next guy? I can start like <laughs> thinking this through and. Have you already started like plotting out who might be the next one you could start the next six year journey with? Do you have an eyeball on someone who you're thinking, man, that could be the next one? I got a couple, but I'm gonna ask you a question. Where do you where do you go from here? You know, do you? <laughs> yeah. It's just, and not like in a you know arrogant way of saying that at all. Like it's just kind of I never really you know he went 193 inches. Like I just can't even wrap my head around it still like you know where do you where do you what do you do you just you know i know some people that go and you know it's the next big mature deer and it's like you know it's not all about score but there's a little bit about it that is obviously intriguing to all of us and you know do you do i wait again for you know the next 190 inch deer or you know whatever Man, I don't know. That's kind I, of my struggle. I don't, yeah. I don't, you know, it's not all about the score, but I tell you, it's, I tell you the next one that trips your trigger and you find yourself just like, oh, just, just do what's fun. Chase that feeling, man. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm looking for. And I guess to answer your question, I don't have any of that right now. Um, I got some good potential deer that I'm excited to see, but I know it's, you know, a three year journey for them to be where I want them to be. Um, just because of their age, not really even, you know, they're racking the score, but just the age and I don't, man, I've been so distant to all my other farms. Like I've ran cameras, like I always do, you know, uh, I've not put any of that like out on the wayside, like, but I'm, it's almost like I'm hunting new properties again. Like I just haven't, I haven't set in any other stand other than last year, you know, for that week. And I got lucky enough to kill that deer. And, um, other than that, I haven't sit anywhere else in four years. That's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of hitting me as I'm saying it to you. Cause I've never really thought about it like that, but I haven't. And then uh, I don't know. My um, next thing is, you know, getting a good buddy of mine trying to get, you know, he's on some good deer and trying to help him get on them and, you know, maybe film him doing that. And obviously try to get my wife on a good one. I, she killed a good deer last year and that's really my next goals. And that's kind of been my mindset and it's kind of keeping my mind off the reality of 
trying to or needing to find another one because like as of right now i don't i don't know what i'm chasing next year i guess just sitting in the tree stand which might be fun to go back to that for a little bit to be honest yeah that's true there's something about just uh some pressure free just 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 sitting to sit and hunt and see what might surprise you that's that's got a certain appeal as well yeah (laughs) pressure free like just just being out there to be out there and you know with cameras and stuff nowadays it's hard to be surprised i mean on really what's there but that's you know maybe i'll do some of that just just be exciting to hunt and not really know what's there and not really know what's going to walk in because shoo i i couldn't tell you how many times i've seen every deer on that farm yeah. or it was on him besides him of course but <laughs> man well that is a heck of a journey i uh I've had some good ones, but never a six-year hunt for a buck like that, and uh, obviously not a buck of that caliber. So, uh, soak it in, my friend. I hope you. I hope you get to uh, spend some time just just reveling in this experience and uh, the good <laughs> fortune and the, the story and all that, because that's a pretty a pretty special hunt. Congratulations. Uh-huh. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate the opportunity to to be on here and stuff too. And I some people are. Uh, you know, excited to hear it and it kind of hits home for some people. And, you know, I don't know, just the, just the, the part of it that, you know, like his up, even the deer's ups and downs, you know, like him being wounded and then making a comeback with his, you know, his horns being bigger than they ever were at nine years old. Like it's just kind of wild what kind of animals these animals really are and like their will to live. And I mean, everybody's probably had a tracking story where, you know, that, that deer can't be alive and then, you know, it is, but, they just they're different and they obviously people like us they just do different things too and i don't know i'm my dad introduced me to hunting and i'm so fortunate and appreciative of that because without that i I, like i don't even know what i'd be doing right now you know maybe whittling some wood or something i don't know (laughs) doing something productive with your life other than chasing whitetails all day (laughs) you said it you had to say it didn't you yeah at least that's what some people think shoot man man. there's some wasted time that's for sure but it's uh it's worth every bit of it when it comes together on something like this but it sure is well uh tyler man thank you so much for taking time to to share this story and to kind of break it all down and what you learned and what worked. And I think there's a lot of, not only is it a fun story, but also some stuff that I think that, that I can take away and hopefully everybody else can too. And, uh, whether it's a 110 inch buck or 190 inch buck, I think, uh, the chase for one deer is, is pretty darn compelling. And this is a perfect example of it. Yeah. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Like I said, the opportunity to be on here too. That was, uh, it was pretty cool how it worked out. Well, let's do it again. And, Three, four, five, six years when you get the next one, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's not that long, but yeah, yeah. I, yeah let's do it. All I right. appreciate it, Mark. All right, and that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in. Appreciate you joining me here at the beginning of the new year. Uh, if you still have a tag from the 2022 deer season, I'm wishing you luck. Hope you can close it out here at the bottom of the ninth with some magic in the last moments. And if not, either way, thanks for being here. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. 
I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.